I know. You were really excited to see the topic of this podcast, weren't you? How to ignite millennials to give. You're worried, aren't you? Your donor base is aging. Millennials seem like totally different beasts. Trust me, I've raised three of them. They are dispositionally unrecognizable from my own peers. And you are right to be clueless. Board members raise this constantly, don't they? And they don't have the answers either. They know it's important and they hope that someone will share the secret sauce. Today, we're going to let you taste the secret sauce. My guest today is a millennial. She's actually on the cusp of millennial, and she has terrific ideas. That said, I have some good news and some bad news. The bad news, you will have to introduce your organization to brand new ideas. Not only will you have to think outside the box, you have to enter a world without a box. But here's the good news. This new boxless world does not have to cost any money. And if it does, it's not much. I mean it, honest. Innovation on the cheap to reach a potential universe of prospective stakeholders who care deeply about the world around them and want to be are involved in causes they care about. Now, that is the kind of innovation we all need to know a lot more about. Welcome to Nonprofits Are Messy. Not enough money, too many cooks, and an abundance of passion. Leading nonprofits isn't easy. Joan Gary, the dear Abby of nonprofits, gets it, and she is here to help. Abra Ennis founded Generosity Auctions in 2015, and today stands as one of the top female charity auctioneers in the business. Featured in Bloomberg Inc., Huffington Post, and Inc. Magazine, and more. Abra has raised over $100 million for nonprofits nationwide. In addition to this work, Abra has served on local, national, and campaign boards. But make no mistake, her work is about a lot more than just auctions, way more. Abra, as I mentioned, is a woman with a mission to get nonprofits to wake up and smell the coffee and to begin to change their thinking in order to bring millennials into their organizations. And technology is key to that. In fact, when Abra reached out to ask me to consider this topic for my podcast, no plain old school, old school email would do. Mm-mm. I received a custom video from her. It was engaging, super clear about what she could share with all of us. She had me at hello. Speaking of hello, hello, Abra, and welcome. Hello, Joan. How you doing? <laughs> I'm so honored to be here. Um, I am delighted. This is a topic that I am really, really interested in learning more about. Um, I, I suppose the listeners are too, but let's, let's, let's have this be about me. <laughs> Go for it. All right. So great interview you did in Bloomberg News earlier this year. In it, you're quoted, a big piece of my job is embracing the awkward silence of fundraising. You have to ask and then just shut your mouth and enjoy the silence. The silence settles and it can be heavy, and sometimes people get so uncovered, uh, uncomfortable that they'll give more to fill the void. I enjoy the silence, end quote. I love this quote. You are clear. Fundraising does not make you uncomfortable. Actually, I believe the article says you just don't get uncomfortable. This I find impressive. Were you always like this? No, definitely not. I have some super awkward years uh, where I was very uncomfortable in my own skin and um during my early 20s, I worked on a cruise ship and I basically had Groundhog Week instead of Groundhog Day where I could 
have a different audience every single week. And that's where I really became comfortable with who I am and um, everything that makes me unique. And then I just got to a place where I realized I just didn't have time in my life to be uncomfortable. Um, and I, I just embraced it. And I tend to ask hard questions and sometimes awkward questions and weird questions, mostly because I'm curious and I just really want to know. And I, my, my thirst for knowledge is more important than, than sometimes social norms. We'll say that. Well, I also, the notion that, that like, there's just not enough time to be uncomfortable or that it's a waste of energy. It's sort of how I feel about flying. I used to be a really ridiculously nervous flyer. And, and then I realized that, that like, I just didn't have the time or the energy to waste on being nervous. And now I actually like flying. I like, I like almost everything about it because I've sort of embraced, I've sort of embraced it. It's funny. It's really, really interesting. So when you were, I was like asking people this question, when you were 10 and you were at one of those annoying family functions and the, you know, the nosy aunt said, so, you know, Abra, what do you want to be when you grow up? What'd you tell them? Well, I always wanted, this is a really odd question because I know exactly what I wanted to be when I was 10. I wanted to be the dolphin trainer at SeaWorld. That was like my (laughs) ultimate job. You know, you could be the, you, I mean, nothing, did, did something get in the way of your doing that? I mean, one, I mean, it's not, it's not a big stretch. I mean, it's not a big stretch for you. No, there's a lot of performance in it, but one, I, I, you know, I did a little bit of research at the library. I found out how much they made and that was a total no for me. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, not going to happen. And and two, the amount of school you had to go through. I'm a very efficient person. And as I don't know, I, I was very anxious to get through with school and I had no desire to go get my master's and PhD in animal sciences so I could train dolphins. I just thought you got in the pool and if you had a good personality and didn't mind touching fish, you were in. But that was not true. Um, <laughs> um would it surprise your when when your friends and family who've known you a long time know like sort of who you are and what you do today? Would it surprise them that you're you know that you do what you do? No, uh, a big piece about me is I always wanted to perform not as somebody else, so I didn't want to be an actor. Although I tried that, I wanted to perform as Abra. So a big piece of my work in the auctioneer world is performing as myself. And I've had probably every job you can have where you're on stage as your own person without singing because I cannot sing. But the fundraising piece, I don't think people will find surprising because as a child, I was very, very interested in helping the homeless and giving back. And that was a big part of our household. So it's kind of like a perfect meshing together a melding of um of who I am. This job is like the essence of who I am. I I'm I love fundraising. It's kind of disgusting how much I love it. It's my everything. Everything I do is about fundraising. It's really um I know there are people that are, have just rolled their eyes and that there are there are also people out there 
to steal a line from whatever that Harry met Sally, who were sitting there going, oh, can I just have what she's having? <laughs> so let's get to it. So millennials have gotten this kind of bad rap as a sort of a me generation, when in fact, based on a study from like 2015, millennials have a higher giving power than previous generations and a remarkable 84% of working millennials made charitable contributions in 2014. But how do they get engaged? Um, what strategies do people employ to do it well? My goal is to try, to try to make it easy for listeners to follow and focus on four strategies that you have talked about with me that you have seen work. Now, I know you have a specialty in events and how to use technology to improve outcomes, but I'm going to sort of steer us a bit away from that and look in a more focused way at how to use tech to engage millennials more broadly. Is it okay if we take them one at a time? Totally. Okay, good. So let's start with social media. And please, let's just be real. Most nonprofit organizations approach social media like troglodytes, basically like storefront promotion. That's it. That's it. They think that's what it is. And, 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 and I am not a millennial by a long shot, but even I know that's, that's not the way to take fullest advantage of technology. So let's start with social media, and then we're going to move on to video, smart technology, and fasten your seatbelts, boys and girls, virtual reality. So talk to us about social media, Abra. Okay. What's the best strategy to bring millennials to the fold? What have you seen work? What's the, what's the secret sauce there? Well, there are a lot of pieces or ingredients in the secret sauce, but first thing that I will have to say to your listeners is 2018 is like the last train leaving the station for social media. If you do not get on social media this year and do it well and consistently, you will be basically lost in the dust of nonprofits who die a slow death because they're not engaging next gen. And it's really, really incredibly hard to catch up. So this is, he. I, if I could, and your listeners could see me, I would hold up a giant warning sign that says like, get on social media now. And if you're on it, start using it. So the first thing I will say is, you have to be on the big four. And the big four for millennials are Facebook. It is the most popular worldwide, not with just millennials, but with all generations. Instagram, which is now owned by Facebook. So they kind of work together now in tandem and you can do lots of things, fun things together. YouTube, which is the second largest search engine in the world. And Twitter, which I don't love as much for nonprofits, but it is enormous and huge and you can get a large audience on it. And it's very simple and easy. So you might as well hop on there. So millennials, as you know, if you've interacted with any of your kids or your grandkids or your nieces and nephews or just people on the train or on the bus, we are always on our smart technology. We're on our phones, we're on our iPads all the time. We spend upward of like six hours a day on technology, and a lot of it's on social media. So the first thing, I guess this is second. I'm not really good at counting when I talk. I'll just put that out there. <laughs> if we get lost. Why don't you just say, here's, just do this. I, I try this. Just go, next. <laughs> Great. Next. 
So the next thing that I would say is you have to figure out your content pillars. Now, this is something that most nonprofits don't do. They just hop on social media and they start throwing up all kinds of things this way and that. And a lot of it is about donate here, donate now, please donate this. This is who we are. Read our annual report. Come to our gala. That is it's all about it's all about the organization and what that organization wants the listener to know about them. Correct. Correct. Exactly. So you need to really focus on five, maybe six things, and that's all you're going to post about. Because otherwise, your message can get it can get really muddled. So you want to pick. I always say five because there's five days in a week and all these hashtags are like really popular. Like there's Motivation Monday and Man Crush Monday and <laughs> Woman Crush Wednesday. Like there's all these hashtags, you know, that are Thirsty Thursdays, Fundraising Friday. There's tons of hashtags and you can make up your own. So let's just say you're like uh, the Humane Society. You should be posting five things. And those five things, and I'm just making this up here, one would be cats, two would be dogs, three would probably be volunteers, four would be success stories like dogs and cats that got adopted out, and five would be probably sick animals that you made better when they came into your animal shelter and were really, really sick and they had this great turnaround, right? And I would not post anything other than those five things. So first, get your content pillars together and then set a schedule. So we say we're going to post Monday is cats, Tuesdays is dogs, Wednesdays is volunteers, Thursdays, and so on and so on. And now, do you do that, Aubrey, do you do that because it, it becomes easier to manage your social media? Is it because the predictability of that has value to the to the social media consumer? I guess I'm, 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 I'm curious about the why behind that. Sure. So there's a couple of reasons why. First and foremost, the management of it becomes much, much easier and it doesn't have to fall all on one person. Great. You know, you work with organizations that are all sizes. Some are very small, some are very large, but typically the social media department is always in the marketing team if your organization is large enough to have a marketing team. But I don't think you need to do that. I think everyone in your organization should take a turn. So there are many different voices coming through. So if right, and so if you have if you have those pillars, it just makes it easier. Can you take Tuesday do something about dogs? Correct, and everybody knows Tuesdays is dogs, Mondays is cats, and if you take over the week, everybody knows this is what we're doing on this day. Now it also tends to be my generation, the millennials. We really. Um, we use social media as entertainment. So just like you used to know ER was on Thursday, and yes, I am old enough to know that. I do I'm know. Impressed. <laughs> Thank you. That we do know when certain things are coming, and we look forward to them. So if you're really engaged online and in social media, you know that certain days mean certain things for certain organizations, different companies, different influencers. So you look forward to those things and kind of the continuity builds strength. So people may know, oh, hey, I love the dogs on the Humane Society every 
Tuesday, I'm going to check Tuesday. And it's just something that people get used to. It's a habit that you're creating for people to get used to and interact with. You can have photos, contests, all kinds of things. So once you have your content, once you have your schedule, then nonprofits kind of need to get out of their own way. And when I say this, I mean many nonprofits are afraid to be on social media because they're afraid to ruin their reputation or their message or brand won't be as clear um, online without 20 people reviewing the same posts. Sort of a, a, it's a control issue. It's very much. A, you always say there's too many cooks in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. You can, you really cannot go wrong on social media in, unless you do not post something. So posting and just putting something up is better than having nothing at all. And I will also point to the Kardashians who have ruined their reputations and are hugely popular. So like, what's <laughs> the worst thing that could happen if you post a bad picture of a dog online or you just post something that's a little controversial? I don't believe personally that anything truly bad is going to happen to your nonprofit at all. So kind of get out of your own way. So these this this strategy you would you would execute against all four of the platforms, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter? No. So they are mostly for Facebook and Instagram, which require daily posting. Let's hold, let's hold Twitter when we get to the, because I am keeping track of the numbers and the time. The, the second category is video. So can we hold YouTube for that category? Of course, we can totally hold so, All right, so tell me about Twitter. Twitter is mostly used for news and information sharing. It's very short, although they just expanded the number of characters to 280. So you can say a little bit more, but Twitter is used, I would say for nonprofits, mostly to share information and to resolve problems. Just like you can tweet the airlines when you're having, you know, you've been on hold for 45 minutes and no one's picking up the phone. That's how I would use Twitter with nonprofits. Not to complain like, oh, they used my $20 to keep the lights on, but more like, hey, I've tried to call and uh, to get tickets to, or or I want to come check out a board meeting, right? It's just very quick. It's very timely. It's very up to date. And you should be posting other people's content as well and having conversations. Twitter is a very so, conversation. Right. So, so when I'm, t- when I'm posting on Twitter, if I'm running the Humane Society, I might, there might be an article about, um, I'm just making something up, uh, dogs, you know, dogs in our community or something like that. Or so something that educates, potentially educates the person reading the tweet or calling somebody to action? Are those the kinds of things you're talking about? Yeah, it's anything that's relevant. So if you're the Humane Society and there's like a pet food, do- a pet food, a dog food recall, that's something you want to post. Because Okay, got it. Right? Uh, if you're looking for volunteers for next week, that's something you want to post. If you're teaming up with uh, the Humane Society in the next state to trade dogs and cats, that's something you want to post. What you don't want to post is like pictures from your event. You don't want to post, um, you don't want to post like uh, infographics. You want to post like memes and you want to post 
little teeny short videos and you want to post funny pictures, you want to post things that get retweeted. And the most important thing about Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter is the interaction. We really go, the social media accounts that have the most value are the ones that have the most interaction. It doesn't matter if you have 2 million followers, if nobody interacts with you. We want Right. So if you're going to post something on Facebook, and I, I've actually learned this with my own, um, just my own business page, uh, asking, posing a question exactly. is way better than, you know, sort of, I have a client that blah, blah, blah. Um, would you, or I have a, there's an employee that, you know, fictitious employee. Um, hire, fire, or performance improvement plan. And boom, you get all these comments. That's what you want. You want engagement and you want interaction because that's what keeps people engaged with you. Social media is not passive anymore. It's interactive. And that's what we're really going for. You want to have these conversations with millennials and you want to get them engaged in the conversation. You want to ask them just like you said, to take surveys. Oftentimes we ask people to retweet. Oftentimes we have contests online, you know, like follow me and type in a friend, tag a friend. That means you put like the at symbol in your friend's name so we can get more people following us, right? There's so many different things you can do, but the core of it is the interactions. And the core of it also too, if I have this right, Abra, is is what <clears throat> is not necessarily what you want to tell people, but what what would what would be interesting, informative, engaging for them that would is sort of you have to actually um, play to your audience, of course, more, right? More than just a just a flat advertisement for your organization, and I feel like that's that's where so many nonprofits drop the ball. I want to move on to video, um, and because we also we have some. Smart tech and virtual reality. I don't. I. I want to. I'm saving virtual reality thing. for last. You may go ahead, Abra. The one. One of the biggest things that is a huge trend coming for nonprofits, and you should get on it now if you can, is influencers. And influencers are people who have big followings online, and engaging them with your nonprofit can have huge effects because of their large following getting Give me an example. So for example, you have a very large Instagram star in your community and Instagram star can be anyone ranging from 2000 followers to 10,000. These people get paid all the time to do like product placement. So like drinking from a mug, they're like, Oh, by the way, you can buy this mug bed, bath and beyond. And here's a coupon. But what if you invited them to take a tour of your nonprofit because they're really, they have five kids and you are a uh, a shelter for women and their children. You invite them to take a tour and now instead of you Facebooking and Instagramming about yourself, now you have somebody who is very well known and very well respected talking about you and showing you, showing your organization in a different light to a whole new audience. So I would just tell your our listeners, because I'm a listener too, that check into local influencers in your community and see if they're a good fit and they can have a huge effect on your social media. So I'm going to, a troglodyte, troglodyte question here. How do I find those influencers? You, you have to do a lot of searching. Um, sometimes you can also just Google like top 
ex-influencers in my city. Like if you're really into fashion and let's pretend you're a, I don't know. But dress for success. Yeah, like dress for like success. That. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. what I was looking for. Dress for success. You would want to look for uh, fashion bloggers. This is, by the way, don't don't you think that this kind of work is just absolutely custom made for interns? Totally. Undergrad interns. I mean, I, to me, I, 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 when people say I don't have time to do this, I'm like, you don't have time because you don't get it because you're a troglodyte like me. But but a but a junior in college um, who wants to who wants to do social media would be happy to run your whole shop for you, <laughs> right? And get all of that experience and either stay in the nonprofit space or take it and go elsewhere with it. So Even high schoolers could do it. Yeah, completely true. Completely true. So um, I want to go on to We're video. On. We're moving on. We're moving on. Video. So the first one is social media. Get on it in 2018 or the train will have left without you. Engage people. Make sure that you're interactive. I heard all of that. Now tell me about tell me about video and let's make sure we leave ourselves time for the last two. Okay. So video is the number one viewed content online and it's the most watched. It's the most remembered. They say people remember about 10% of the posts they read, but they remember 65% of the things they watch. So just think about that. People are always looking for videos to watch and share, and they also remember them. So I always recommend that you get it out of your head, that it does not have to be fancy, and it does not have to be professionally done. You can use your iPhone. You can use Facebook Live. You can use YouTube Live which by the way, are totally 100% free, Instagram Live. They all have live streaming video creation tools built in that you can use anytime you want for 100% free, and then it posts automatically to your page. So that's number one. So there's, when we're talking about video, We have our live streaming video, which is me sitting down in front of my iPad, iPhone, or computer and creating a live stream video. We also have what we call on-demand videos, which is I go out, I shoot some video on my camera or on my iPhone, I edit it together, and then I upload it to a site like YouTube where it is available anytime to watch on-demand. So that's the two difference in those. And both, go ahead. Yeah, my question is, what am I doing in that content? Great question. So in terms of the live streaming video, for nonprofits, your executive director, your board president, they should be doing like a state of the union kind of two to three times a year on the live, on the live platforms. They should, you should let people know in advance, two, three weeks in advance, hey, we're going to have a State of the Union, log on, 4 p.m. Eastern, whatever time it is in your time zone, and then your CEO is going to sit down and give kind of an update. And it doesn't have to be long. It can be five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes. So that's one thing you can do. Another thing that you can do with like Facebook Live and Instagram Live, which are on your phone, as is YouTube Live, you could, if you're let's say you're the animal shelter, or let's switch. Let's say you're in like a food bank, okay? You're in the food bank world. You just got a huge delivery of apples. You're going to make a quick little video, 30 seconds a minute, 
of all those apples tumbling out of the cartons. And you're going to show the volunteers bagging them up or you're showing them getting, you know, uh, put on the shelves or you're showing people if it's, you know, all client issues, sensitivity issues being what they are, you're going to show clients picking them up and being happy. Those are the kinds of things that we're doing live and in the moment. They don't have to be steady or fancy or anything. Um, I, yeah, I think this is another one of those places where nonprofits are feel like they have to be highly scripted. They feel like they have to really control the messaging. Um, and I believe that, that, there's, that there are such opportunities for nonprofit CEOs to jump in onto their Facebook pages um, to respond to something current in the news that's relevant to, you know, gee, I wonder what, you know, the CEO of, um, you know, pick an organization has to say about this headline in the news today that clearly impacts, you know, let's say it's an organization that advocates for, you know, immigrants and there's a, you know, sort of immigrant reform bill that's on the front page. Like I want to be able to go to that, to, uh, go to my, that Facebook page and see a Facebook live from the CEO telling me what I ought to think about. It, right. Correct. Any- yeah, and I, I right. I mean, I don't know why we live in a world where they think that, that that somehow or another we live in this world where you're still supposed to put out statements. I mean, really? No, you're supposed to get on Facebook Live exactly and just talk about what you feel. You're at you you do senior care and you just got huge cuts from the state government and your funding's going down a million dollars. Jump on one of these live video platforms. And, and tell people, let people want to know, especially millennials, we really want transparency. And the more you can give us, the better. Now, in- well, there's also, there's also something else about millennials that I think I have learned by teaching them at Penn. Um, <clears throat> it's, um, what's it called? FOMO. FOMO. Fear of missing out. Yes. Right? And so I, if I really care about an issue... Like I want to know because I, in fact, it's, it's almost a disorder, right? Like I'm so fearful that I'm not going to know. You're so fearful that you're not going to know. And you want to be, you want to take action. You want to jump in and you want to be involved. So the next time you can get a mention on the video, which is another thing that we should hop to in like on-demand videos, on-demand videos. I have one client who does this so well. The first week of January, which is kind of a dead week in the fundraising week, like no one's doing anything, they have a whole week dedicated to making videos in their office. And they only use iPhones and like tripods they bought on Amazon. Right. Create their content, their major video content for the entire year. They create um, Valentine's Day videos, uh, Thanksgiving videos, St. Patrick's Day, 4th of July. They have all these silly props they buy online. They do that. They give huge, they make thank you videos, personalized thank you videos for their big sponsors. I mean, one of the big things that millennials love online is getting shout outs. We love other people mentioning, mentioning us online, especially in video. If you make a video for us, like I made a video for you, specifically for you, yes. you sent me an email that said that made my entire month. Like, <laughs> it did. Like that's, that's an amazing feeling to give somebody. Now, I don't want to burst the bubble, but it took me like four minutes to shoot the video and 10 minutes to edit the video. And it really changed the way somebody can see you and see your organization. It's, it was, it was, 
it was actually really, really instructive for me because it honestly, I mean, okay, so it took you longer than it would have taken for you to send an email, but the extra 10 minutes it took was so worth it because do you know how many emails I get? Like you cut through the clutter in such a really powerful way. And it was really simple and authentic and easy. And right. It was, yeah. Yeah. I think this is a, I mean, I did a, I did a video this morning. Um, I have a, I have a membership site for board and staff leaders of small nonprofits called the nonprofit leadership lab. And there's a private Facebook group. And um, I wanted to thank people on giving Tuesday. That's why I wanted to give thanks to the members of, um, of my uh, uh, leadership lab. And they'd all also, we talk about dogs and cats because what isn't important about dogs and cats. And um, people have been dying to meet my dog. And so I did the, I did a, one minute and 40 second video live into the Facebook group. I introduced everyone to my dog. I, I did two shout outs to two people who had posted in the lab that morning about stuff they were doing for Giving Tuesday. Boom, I was gone in a minute, 30 seconds. And in, and the engage, level of engagement has been ridiculous. Right. people Because it's, it goes up afterwards and people can continue watching it. But Correct. I, but it's just people love the it's like reality tv they really want more of you, the essence of your organization and what you're doing and i will tell you that for millennials which i'm 35 so i'm the oldest possible millennial depending on the definition so you're an ancient you're an ancient millennial i'm an probably. ancient millennial exactly but you know some of us have like decent sized big jobs and <laughs> Right, like we're yes. we're, out, yes. we're out of the kid zone, but a lot of people from the baby boomers still view us as children, which is a separate issue. But making videos to approach corporate sponsorship or for major foundations, there are a lot of people my age and younger in the position to receive those and watch those videos, and you can make a huge, huge impressive impression on them. I'm, I want to go to um, I want to go to uh, smartphones. Can we do that? I assume that's what you want, right? So everybody has a smartphone. Um, you've made the Facebook thing not seem too daunting. And then these these last two categories, which I want to make sure we give good good time to, is sort of this smart technology and then virtual reality. What do you mean when you talk about smart technology? What are you talking about? So it does not, unfortunately, I'm going to correct you here. It does not mean smartphones, although a lot of it has to do with phones, which are basically mini computers. So when I think of- I stand corrected. I'm it's sorry. The, the, the troglodyte in me just popped right out there for a second. I'll put her away and bring back the hip, cool, 60-year-old person who is relatively tech savvy. She's back now. Well, I had a Google troglodyte because I didn't know what that meant. All right. Wait a minute. That probably means there are listeners who don't mean what, know what troglodyte means. So tell tell everybody what a troglodyte is, Abra. It's a Neolithic cave dweller. <laughs> it's a good word. You know, the nuns used to tell me you use a word once in a sentence and it's yours forever. So it there you go, Abra. And, but like there's, I had to Google it. Thank goodness I have Google. Um, All right. So smart technology. So smart technology is what I is my broad definition of back-end technology that gives your next-gen donors and your current donors, if they care about this, really 
it gives it, we'll put it this way, two-way communication. So traditionally, we're going to talk about your website of your organization. Traditionally, it's a brochure. It's online. It just says who you are and what you do. But there is so much more powerful technology now that can power your website. So let's just take it out of our own personal nonprofit websites and think about Amazon. So Amazon is huge for the millennial generation. I order everything and anything on Amazon. And let's think, and most people do, let's think about the Amazon experience. Amazon has a profile for me. They know who I am. And with one click of a button, I log in. They know who I am. They know what I like. They make recommendations for me. And it is super easy to access my orders, to cancel an order. They, they make it very easy. A very, we call it UX, a user experience. Nonprofit websites do not work like that. But let's think about what it could be like, and there are there's tons of technology to do that, where what if I was brand new to the organization and I was just surfing around your webpage? What if a little chat bot, those little chat things, you know, the little, they're like a, a pop-up screen? What if there was a chat bot that popped up on our nonprofit website that said, hi, what are you looking for? How can I help you? You can ignore it if you want, or you can engage. My generation, we do not pick up the phone. We are not calling to be like, hi, how can I volunteer? But we'll do anything you want online. No problem. That's very easy to us. But nonprofits don't ask for that kind of stuff online. And that's a simple, That that is, is that a free slash inexpensive plugin for your site? Well, so there are all different kinds of chatbots. Facebook has free ones that you can add at any time that can be robotic or personally manned, whatever you want. Adding them to your website all depends on the level of interaction you want. Many of them are robo-chats, which means you can teach them things to respond to. Like if the word volunteer shows up, you can pop up a link that sends them to a volunteer page. But if you want a real person, that's a whole other level, right? But chatbots, robo chats are like it's very now. There many of them can be very inexpensive. It's something very simple and easy you can add to your website. The other thing that I talk about with smart technology is what if I could have a pro- a profile on a nonprofit website where I was engaged, and you kept I kept my own profile or the website if it was smart enough could do this. It knew what I was interested in. It knew what I like to do. It knew my giving history. It knew my passions. And it could send me updates. And I could log in and look at my past giving history. As I will tell you this, I am fairly philanthropic for a millennial. I don't really know compared to, I'm not a really accurate description because I'm in a very philanthropic cohort of people. But For me to get a PDF of my tax receipt at the end of the year is almost impossible. I still get one in the mail, and then I have to scan it myself because I submit my taxes electronically. Mm -hmm. But by the way, the bank sends me everything electronically. Nonprofits, like, let's get on board. Let's let my generation access their own 
materials. Let's send them electronic documents. Even better, why waste your time? Let me log on to my own profile and download my own tax receipts. Let me see my giving history. Let me choose what newsletters I want. I don't want to pick up the phone. It's scary if I don't know the nonprofit. It's, I just, and you don't pick up the phone anyway. Well, that's, that's also true. You also never get a call back, but it's 2018. Like the way we're doing it is the stone age. It's yeah. crazy. See, that's the troglodyte, right? They're a cave dwell. They're living in those caves, right? Totally. So I, I am um, I'm conscious of time. I want to, there's one question I have for you. Um, there are people that are saying, oh, so you're suggesting, so here's an interesting thing for an, perhaps for another podcast, but the, is your website, you know, your online presence as a nonprofit organization, you know, you know, the, we could be going for days about the, the, you know, the, the issue of overhead and how you have to keep it low. I don't actually think about um, a, 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 the online presence of an organization as, as overhead in its, in its, um, traditional definition. I see it as a way to mobilize and engage, in which case I consider it to be more program or fundraising in those situations. And, um, but is what you're talking about difficult and or expensive? It's not any more expensive than doing a really fancy redo of your website, which most nonprofits tend to do every five years anyway. And then it comes right. up looking basically the same. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I would rather have you invest that money on your back end and make it really, really useful and personal. Yeah, that's smart. Very smart. So um, the smart person that we are talking to, uh, the ancient millennial, is Abra Ennis, the founder of Generosity Auctions and a nationally recognized philanthropic consultant. She could be talking to us about a million different things, but today her focus is how nonprofits can reach millennials through technology. And I like her phrase, thinking without a box. We've talked about social media, video, and smart technology. I will admit I am most intrigued by virtual reality. Um, <clears throat> so when I think about virtual reality, I think about seeing Pixar movies with my kids and wearing 3D glasses. I assume it must be more than that. Um, so, um, recognizing we got about, Oh, I'd say five minutes, maybe. Can you, can you introduce us to the concept and how it can be used? And it, of course, it, once again, nonprofits far too often live in a scarcity model. Sounds something like something that could be expensive. Sure. So the basics of VR, which I hope everyone has kind of heard of, they're the big goggles you put on. Most of the time, they also have headphones. And inside those goggles is, imagine a 360-degree panorama video that when you turn your head, you see what would be on your left. When you turn your head to your right, you see what would be on your right. And when you turn around 360 degrees, you are able to see around you 360 degrees. So it is a very immersive experience. The future of fundraising, I believe, and I've seen many of my clients go this route and many other nonprofits go this route, is in virtual reality. Virtual reality is a very transformative and transportive and immersive experience, meaning 
let's say you're a nonprofit that is involved with homelessness uh, advocacy and action. You are not going to take your donors, let's say you're in Los Angeles or any big city, you are not going to take your major donors who may believe passionately that in homeless advocacy and in action work, you're not going to take them to Skid Row to go inside a homeless encampment to hang out with a homeless person for 30 minutes. It's just not an experience you're going to give your major donor. They're probably not going to go. But what you can do is you can take your 360 camera and your tripod and you can shoot a 360 video inside of their encampment. And once you have the video edited and turned into VR headset compatible content, you can then take that headset to a donor meeting, to a board meeting, to a presentation at a foundation can take it to an event. You can hand it to any person in the world with eyes and ears, pop it on their head, and they can be transported immediately to Skid Row. And they can have a experience of what it would be like in that homeless encampment without leaving the room. And they can look around and they can see things. Oftentimes these videos are narrative. So you can be interviewing a homeless person or have the homeless person in the video explain right. things. So it is hugely, hugely, and uh, hugely um, groundbreaking because fundraising is the is storytelling. And if you work overseas, if you work in very inaccessible areas, you have to do a very, very good job painting pictures with words. But with virtual reality, you don't need to do that because they okay. experience it themselves. It's yeah, it's it's remarkable. I have two questions. Question number one in the show notes, perhaps you can um, or, or maybe you can tell us now. It, um, is there somebody who's doing it really like if I was exploring this, I'd want to talk to somebody or look at something that was done by someone who's doing this. Sure. Is there someone out there that you could point us to? Yep. You should look at Charity Water. You should look at Pencils of Promise. You should look at Back on My Feet, the Clinton Foundation, Amnesty International, Nature Conservancy, um, the American India Foundation. They're all playing around with the VR technology. And okay. So now the other thing that, Aubrey, that you, most of those that you described feel like rather large organizations. So um, what's the minimal investment, you know, ballpark range to get separate and apart from, let's assume you, you have an intern or you have a, you know, somebody who really wants to do pro bono video production for you. Cause I believe you can always find that. So what's, what's a range of minimum investment to, to do something like this? Cause it, it does sound completely transformative. So the technology itself, the hardware, you need a headset, you need the headphones if they don't come with the headset. Uh, and you need the camera, which is most often a Samsung Galaxy phone. That's about $1,000. I will tell you the headsets are so cheap. I checked Amazon this morning, and with all their Cyber Monday deals, there are amazing headsets for $100. If you want to create your own 360 video, so you would go and search. If you're searching for this online now, you're going to search for 360 video. If you want to make your own, you're going to need a 360 camera. They average around $400, $500. Then you're going to need a tripod, and then you're going to need a really big memory card, and then you're going to need a, an external microphone. 
if you have all those together, it's probably going to be, I would say, between a thousand to fifteen hundred dollars. So right, and, and then as and then as many headsets as you need. Many headsets as you need a hundred dollars. Don't forget, you also need the Galaxy phones. Oftentimes, you can borrow them or rent them. The most expensive part of this creating this technology and the part that has not come down in price yet is the editing software. Right. That is the most expensive part. But if you can film it yourself and if you can create the storyline and you can get all the content, editing should not be any more than, I'm, I'm going to ballpark here, but it shouldn't be any more than like $6,000. Okay. And I think you could find it very easily. It's not a hard skill if you know how to video it. You just need to have the software. And I will say it is very rare to have such a life-changing technology come into being, which is such a weird word to choose, but let's just go with it, during a lifetime, right? We've had a couple. We've had smartphones. We've had Facebook. A lot of us are slow to jump in on these. If you can be early, an early adapter of VR, of virtual reality, you can be leaps and bounds above uh, ahead of other nonprofits. You could be first in your city to show major donors. You could have this content for the next four to five years before the technology really changes and becomes much more mainstream. So I would urge people to really jump on this trend. Yes, it's expensive, but nonprofits spend money on very expensive things that sometimes seem frivolous all the time. And you could well, <clears throat> there is, um, sorry to interrupt you. No, um, go for it. Um, if your work, for example, is in a foreign country, yep. for example, um, uh, you know, and you do a fine job with a piece of video like this, um, that's, you know, two, $5,000 donors and you're done. Correct. That's it. And you're done. It's paid for itself. And then, and then you have house parties where, I mean, the other thing, and then I, and then I, we, we have to stop because I think people are going to have heart attacks on their elliptical machines for as long as we're talking today. Actually, Albert told me earlier that she thought sometimes my podcasts are too short. <laughs> um, anyway, um, <laughs> um, but what does that say about your organization, right? I was talking to a client yesterday who's trying to get somebody in Silicon Valley to it. It's a, it's a children's theater company, right? And we were trying to say, okay, what's the business case for somebody who's a venture capitalist who cares about the arts? And we started to really brainstorm about it. And the answer is, it came right out of my client's mouth as clear as day, is that she's building the audience for tomorrow. For, for the arts and theater. Everybody knows that the theater theater audiences are graying and she's building tomorrow's audience. It's not just about toddlers seeing the very hungry caterpillar. And so she's actually framing her work in an innovative way. And if you could then introduce a technology that shows how innovative you are, um, forget it. I mean, that's that's what people are looking for. They're not. They're, they're looking to, to support and participate and engage with organizations that are th really thinking outside the box, that are innovative, that are smart, that aren't just sitting there saying, 
gee, if I only had a couple more bucks, maybe I could make payroll next week. We want to be with winners and winners take risks. They do bold things and they, and they work to engage different kinds of cohorts. The statistics out there about the percentage of baby boomers who give money and the percentage of, of millennials who give money, the contrast is stark and there is tremendous opportunity to bring more and more millennials into the fold because they are predisposed towards wanting to be on the field rather than on the sidelines. You just have to actually speak that language and engage them in the way that they are accustomed to being engaged. I think that's what I heard you talk about today, Abra. One, 100% you did. And the last thing that I will leave you with about millennials is if you get a millennial to sit on your board or a group of millennials to volunteer, ask them the questions you want to know, and then please listen. There is nothing more frustrating than having your opinion asked and having people say, we really want to attract millennials and then nothing changes. And they clearly, it feels like nobody cares to engage with the millennials. And I will tell you that the nonprofits that are doing it very, very well are, are gaining donors by the day because pe- millennials tell each other what they're into and they have FOMO and they all join in together. But get on VR if you can, be forward thinking. And I was just thinking about this. I know you're trying to wrap it up, Joan. Uh, Imagine all the lapsed donors that you could call just to bring the VR headset to and just say, hey, I just want to show you this. I'm not going to solicit you. I just want to show you this new technology. Who doesn't want to see new technology? Completely. Yeah, that's totally true. Um, I um, I would not I would not spend this much time on a podcast unless it was so chock full of information that I know my listeners are really really hungry for. It may be the single biggest question that I get from people: How can we engage millennials? Um, and so, Abra, I just really wanted to say thank you. Not only um, you know your stuff, you're passionate. Um, uh, clearly you love to fundraise, but clearly you also, um, part of loving fundraising is loving how, figuring out how to f- reach different people that haven't been reached before. And there's just such, such incredible opportunity out there among, um, among younger people to be engaged as volunteers, as donors. And you've given me and everybody listening a lot to think about. So thank you so much for your time today. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure. So I hope that you have found our conversation as enlightening, as helpful as I have. Um, uh, and um, Abra, will you remind people where they can find out more about you? It's generos- It's uh, generos- com. But if you just, you can just Google Abra Annis and I show up and you can also find me on YouTube. There you go. Abra Annis. It's A-B-R-A-A-N-N-E-S, right? That's correct. Great. So um, please follow her. Follow her on Twitter. Um, Follow her on social media. She has a lot to say and a lot to offer. Um, Speaking of things to offer, please be sure to check out the dozens of podcast topics that I have. I'm really sure that one of them will be just what you need. My blog at joangary.com offers free resources for board and staff leaders each and every week. I know people read them, and I'm told people that share people that I'm told that people share them and use them all the time. Um, my book, another good resource, you can learn more about that at nonprofitsaremessy.com. 
And the Nonprofit Leadership Lab is our membership site for board and staff leaders of small nonprofits. We'll be opening again for registration in early 2018. You can learn more and join the waitlist at nonprofitleadershiplab.com. Like Abra, I too am a woman with a mission to make sure that all of you nonprofit leaders have what you need to do the toughest work there is and the most important work there is. Thank you for staying the course. We need you. Take care. See you next time. Nonprofits Are Messy is a service of Joan Gary Consulting. Widely known as the Nonprofit Dear Abby, Joan's leadership blog reaches over 40,000 unique visitors monthly from over 150 countries. Subscribe at www.joangary.com.